I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. everyone and welcome to another Motorsport Magazine podcast in association with Mercedes-Benz. Some things are made to cope with puddles and rain. Others deal with the stickiest of mud. And as for the snow, that takes a warm coat and sure footing. But when it comes to dealing with all conditions, there's only one thing that springs to mind. Mercedes-Benz Formatic. All-wheel drive performance in any condition. So whatever the weather or road throws at you, you're ready. To see the formatic range for yourself, visit your local Mercedes-Benz retailer. I'm Ed Foster, and we have an absolute treat for you today. The eagle-eyed amongst you will realise that we are not in Motorsport HQ. We are, in fact, at Goodwood in Lord March's office. Um, Lord March, thank you so much for having us here and for sparing so much of your time. Pleasure, very nice to be here. Um, i just jump in and say now that we're also joined by veteran podcaster and Goodwood man, Morning. Rob Widows, and behind the camera, Alan Hyde. Thank you so much um, for recording us, as always. Uh, Lord March, I wanted to start with your grandfather, um, who obviously was sort of steeped in motorsport and was an extremely good driver. Um, and is, is that where the motorsport passion came from? Because I think you w- used to watch racing with him when, as, a, as a young child. Certainly, um, absolutely, yes. Yeah. So I come down here twice a year for the horse racing in July and the uh, uh, Easter Monday motor racing uh, meeting, and that was the kind of highlight for me. And he would um, sort of take me under his wing a bit and take me around, and the drivers, a lot of the drivers were here anyway in the house, and, uh, and uh, you know, he, he exactly instilled the bug. He'd send me the magazines at school, and... And um, you know, my grandmother, I, my grandmother actually, I think too, was very good at keeping it. So she was probably the person who nurtured that relationship. Really, kept sending the stuff and getting him uh, uh, sort of motivated too. To um, but he was, uh, from what I can read about him, he was a really interesting man because he not only was he obviously the you know the racer and so involved in motorsport, but he he spent a bit of time at Bentley Motors in the service department. But just he was just known as Mister Settrington, and no one knew who he really was. Is that is that, is that true? Uh, yeah, absolutely. He um, he left Oxford very early, much to his parents uh, at Fury, and um, he was riding his his bike. I think he was doing that famous standing quarter mile outside Oxford all the time with his motorbike. And um, he left Oxford early and got a job on the shop floor. He did rise to the sales department, I think, and then, um, and then of course, he set up, set up his own um, 
uh, dealership in uh, in Berkeley Square. But uh, when he started off first, yeah, there was a famous story of him lying underneath some car. Um, and and the and the and the uh, mechanic with him saying, I think there's some bloody lord here, isn't there, uh, working here? Do you know who it is? He was saying, No, no idea. <laughs> he was also he was a he was a good engineer and a good designer as well. I mean, you know, he's in a way his his reputation, what he did, is sort of undervalued still in some ways. Yeah, I agree. I think he um, he was very very innovative in terms of the technology that he um, not only developed a little bit but also really enjoyed he loves small clever cars you'll notice um you know all the cars he raced um were all sort of he didn't drive he didn't race bentley's or even drive them he liked sort of small clever new design new technology and um i mean we had one of the very first minis here uh uh, when it first came out, my grandmother was absolutely terrifying in it. In fact, she wasn't allowed to go out of the park, I don't think, in it. Um, but I remember it zooming up and down out here, a little red uh, Mini, and he had always had, you know, sm- sort of small, clever cars, and Dan Richmond always tuned them up. Downton Engineering always tuned up, tuned the hell out of them. And so they went like, uh, they went like stink, all of them, but they looked very ordinary. Um, but also his, you know, I've got quite a few of his cars, and the, the lovely AC I've got, the pre-war AC he designed, and, you know, he was very much... A lot of people have been, um, you know, very positive about the influence he had and have talked to me a lot about, um, you know, his role in terms of of, of English sports car design. The sort of double scuttle front uh, was very much his his sort of um, signature, the slab tank on the back. He had very much a look and um, he was a very good designer. He drew drew very well. He's a good artist. And so it was unusual, I think, in that he, he was both very artistic and, and, very, and a good engineer. He built his own aeroplane, flew, flew and built his own aeroplane, um, you know, which is no mean feat, really, is it? Amazing. There's, um, I actually I discovered an article in Motorsport by Mike Lawrence from a few, well, probably a couple of decades ago now, um, and he was telling a story about how your grandfather had to deal with the customer complaints and things as he moved up to the service department. And one of them um, was, I just got the sort of text here, and there was a lady who had been loaned her boyfriend's Bentley, and she was complaining the horn didn't work. The horn was tested and found good. She said, not that one, this one, and pointed to the starter button. <laughs> and there's, there's a whole long list of them in the piece. It's actually a sort of fantastic little, little insight. Um, it's, also, it's also, we've got to remember that, that, that when the Festival of Speed started in 93, we were looking back at the, um, 1936, when your grandfather was the first man to compete up that very road. So, you know, he, he did everything first in a way, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, we found out all of that later, which was rather amazing. So we had the idea to do the festival speed because we were obviously being restricted about what we could do on the track and that didn't look like it was ever going to happen. So we thought, well, could we do it somewhere else? And, and then um, discovered that he'd uh, held an event here already in 36 for the Lancia Car Club, which, as Rob said, he, he won himself. Um, and we then found it. Actually, it's, it's up there. There's a very nice little trophy, which we found in the safe, a little silver horse. It's a lighter with a little silver horse, which was the, the trophy for it. So it it it, it was an interesting the way it all kind of it, it 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 kind of fell into place once we'd had the idea. Yeah. So it's interesting because I thought the idea slightly came from his Lance Your Owners Club event. It was it was actually the other way around. Well, actually, the truth is, it was <laughs> we found out we, because I found all his scrapbooks later. And then, and actually, then miraculously, after Rob and I had been working on it for some time and trying to um, think how we were going to begin in explaining it and marketing the idea, I found a, a lovely little picture. It's not very sharp, 
uh, in one of his albums of him in the Lancet going up the hill. So that became the sort of, there he was actually doing it. So then we... we uh, Amazing. Um, I wanted to talk about, obviously, when you took over Goodwood and the, the introduction of the Festival of Speed and, and, and the events that we have today, um, the second Duke loved cricket and does cricket still played on the pitch? Um, the third Duke loved horse racing and the Goodwood race course was created. The seventh Duke built the golf course. Obviously, your grandfather um, that we we're talking about made racing happen at the Goodwood circuit. There must have been a, a, quite a weight on your shoulders in terms of, you know, with that one illustrious history. Um, were you... Were you ever frightened of not being able to come up with these new ventures and new ideas? Uh, no, not really. I mean, all that 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 sort of story of the of sport at Goodwood hadn't really been particularly developed or told at that point. So that actually wasn't on that that particular sort of angle, which is now absolutely critical to everything we do, wasn't uh, really developed. My my father had had uh, brilliantly sort of got hold of the race course and uh, determinedly um, turned that into a, a um, you know, a, a successful, you know, retained its, its, its whole position in terms of the English summer and the social season, but also turned it into a commercially successful operation. Um, but, you know, things were very difficult. They moved here in 1968, tax was 98%. And they moved in thinking they'd give it a go. And if it didn't really, no one had any money, really. They spent, you know, I think they spent a hundred thousand on the whole house, which was a lot of money then. But still, you look now, and it's just, and um, and they had to, they, you know, the house hadn't really been properly lived in by my grandparents since the war, so it was in in very bad shape, and um, and no one lived here. In fact, I mean, it was just opened up for the horse racing and the motor racing, and then and it was shut up again. So it was a massive. Uh, so my parents really took on a massive. That was a that was a huge job, to just put some processes in and kind of get it going. And um, and then really when we developed them, having had the idea to to try and get the motor circuit going and got the, and really got excited and got the bit between our teeth there, then fe fell into the festival speed, which was a piece of luck really. I mean it was it was really the motor circuit definitely wouldn't have turned out the way it has if we hadn't done the festival speed first. So we were given the opportunity, you know, what felt like a, a, you know it felt at the time like we'd been dealt a difficult card, but actually it was the best best result really. So we had seven years to work that out and seven years to realize actually the great thing about the motorcycle was it was untouched so let's just kind of put it back to how it was and then the idea came because we the other leases came back the golf course lease we managed to get back this lovely building the kennels came back i then thought well actually we've got there are all these sport bizarrely we have all these sports here they may all you know they may have been asleep but actually they're easy quite easy to wake up and um suddenly we we you know we have horse racing motor racing golf flying shooting and cricket all in one place, which is a unique story. And it's the authenticity around those, which is what Goodwood's really all about. As you said, I mean, over 300 years, the family have developed all these sports. That's, that's a unique thing. But what's really unusual, um, really, really unusual, is the fact that they shared, it, they, were, they, were, they were shared in a way. So they may have raced their horses on the top of the downs. Lots of aristocrats did in the 18th century race their horses around the place against their friends. But they didn't, it wasn't a shared experience. Either. The public weren't invited in. And likewise with my grandfather, he loved his he loved motor racing. But so it's interesting. Why did he suddenly want to hold a public? Why didn't he just Why didn't he just go motor racing there? But he decided to he decided to hold a, a motor racing event. And um, and actually, from the moment the house was built, it was open to the public as well. So I would, you know, I'm very very flattered, and I love it when people say to me at the festival speed, God, you know, it's been the best weekend. Of, you know, people do, you know, say this has been the best weekend I've ever had. When you know a 16 year old says that, and then they, that's fantastic. 
best we have ever had in our lives. But why do you let all these people in? Why do you want all these people? Why do you, why do you let us all in here for, you know, uh, for the weekend? Two hundred thousand people. And actually, I think it's it's just a very good the place. That's it's I, that's sort of in the air. It's not really a. It's, it's just what the place is about in a way. And um, we don't want to. Um, uh, I'd love to take all the credit for that, but I don't think. I think it's just kind of how the place has has developed itself, and and the place has a very particular style and atmosphere and and that as, as that reflects well on on um a lot of people in you know being able to enjoy it and i hope having a very private experience because for me the, the 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 real excitement is putting on something where we have a lot of people but everyone feels they're having a very their own particular moment there was a great i think it's true to say as well there was a great passion out there waiting to be satisfied in a way at the beginning of the festival of speed people used to ring up and say I hear there's a V16 BRM coming to to this event that you're doing, and, and I I saw it when I was a boy, and I'm going to be there whether I even if I have to crawl there. So there was that, wasn't there? There was a, a demand for this for that kind of event, I think, and the same with the circuit in the sense that when it shut, people were so disappointed. You know, why why is the Duke shut the circuit? What's the problem? Why where are we going to go now? So I think there was all that. You know, I mean, 25,000 people turned up for the first Festival of Speed. We thought there might be 10 people. Yeah, I mean, that was a surprise, wasn't it? I mean, you know, you say you sort of lucked into the Festival of Speed. I don't think it's obviously as simple as that, and it never is. But I think you were actually... No, we really did it. Oh, right. Believe me. <laughs> um, but I think you were quite surprised with the, the sheer numbers. That yeah, well, I think what Rob up. said, I mean, obviously Rob was there at the beginning. Rob was the founding father. Um, uh, we had no idea of the pent-up demand. Uh, we thought there was an interest and I guess, you know, now we say that we, if we did the festival speed because we wanted to sort of see how much interest was. Actually, we did the festival because they told us we couldn't do something down there, and we were bloody well wanted, you know, we bloody well wanted to do something. So we thought, well, they can't stop us doing it in front of the house because of the way the planning regulations work. We'll just, we'll, let's try it there. And then we got a bit more. I suppose we had to put a bit more of a serious sort of feel around the whole thing. So we said, well, look, we'll do it as a little test. Let's see if there's any interest in in uh, Goodwood and motorsport, whether anyone still makes that connection. And um, Rob's right in, in the sense then that, you know, we realised very quickly, and it was a great feeling. I mean, I think both of us would say, you know, one of the best feelings ever, um, for sure, was the, on the Sunday night. You know, we had such a... Both good and bad in a funny way. It had been such a sort of tumultuous weekend of, you know, ecstatic joy, huge amount of disappointment, terrible moments. You know, poor Chaz guy was killed on the first morning. You know, that was a pretty... I just thought it was all over at that point. We just thought, well, we've never done a terrible thing and it's, it's just, it's finished. Um, so it was a weird... It was a weekend that lasted for a year in a way. But as you said, we were expecting... Well, we were told... Uh, I think the BARC told us we'd be lucky to get two and a half, three thousand people for something like that. You know, a hill climb. In, in a, kind of not. It's, very, it's probably a fair assumption. To be honest. And we'd never seen it as a hill climb, so I would say that was the difference. We'd never said no. This is not. This is not a hill climb. This is. This is something different. And then, of course, Doug and I and Robert Brooks got very involved. They were extremely helpful and um, supportive in terms of sort of vision and what cars we, you know. And then they obviously had access to a lot of. The owners, so we thought, well, actually, let's just put something very different together. Then we got a little bit of sponsorship, amusingly, from Honda, Aston Martin, Robert, of course, uh, Robert uh, Brooks, as it was then, and 
Citroen a little bit, um, Aston Martin. Um, and that was enough to s cover some of the basic some of the basic costs. And we thought, well, if anyone comes, then hopefully that'll be, you know. And amazingly, uh, you know, I've told the t story many times, but I, you know, I, d I wasn't sleeping much that week before. It was pouring with rain, actually. And um, we were, I'm actually, I painted the bridge myself in the pouring rain, get, getting covered in white paint because it just, because the paint, it was just, an, it was pretty, the week before was pretty stressful. And I also ended up pretty much parking the cars. I remember standing on the side of the road, you know, was, I remember the Mason Stones arriving, sort of waving them in, you go over there. And then poor Paul Ormond at Honda, who I'm sure many people will know who are listening to this. Uh, I can remember ringing him up on that first morning and giving him absolute hell down the phone, saying, Paul, you promised me the sign-on tent. You know, you told me you got... It was anyway, you're looking for, like, 10 by 10 tent, if that... I mean, feet, I'm talking about. It was tiny. Size of this, smaller than this room. Uh, you know, where is it? He said, oh, don't worry, it's in, it's in the back of my car. You know, and I said, well, I'm, they're, wait, they're queuing to get in and we haven't got the tent. So, you know, it was that... It was. So we didn't really deserve the success in many ways, but... Uh, we certainly tried hard. I mean, that, that's so. I think one thing we did, we did realise was that it did have a lot. We didn't completely stumble on it in the sense that we felt it had great potential, and we did try. So we did think, how are we going to market this? How can we get it out to a lot of people? How can we get you know? How can we get people excited? And I think maybe for the first time we presented it in a way that no event like that had been presented, in the sense that we were presenting it to the public, not to the competitors. So it wasn't a competitor event in the sense that it was only for, it was only about entry fees and stuff. It was actually about the people coming to watch it. And our model ever since then has been there's no entry, there's no entry fee for a Goodwood event. And what and so when you look out the window now on a, on a festival of speed morning, do you? sometimes scratch your head and wonder how you've got to where it is now because I mean it's it's incredible I mean it's odd to, I've only been here a couple of times when there isn't anything here um but during the festival of speed weekend slash you know four-day weekend it's I mean it's, there's a whole town out there and it, it really especially with these manufacturer buildings which are incredible actually just on their own um do you ever think blimey how, how on earth has this happened it's because of what a huge progression from that first event in 93. It is. I don't. I don't very. Much, it's bizarre how you just kind of. It. It just. It just um, uh, goes on. Um, uh, and you know. I guess it suddenly got big, and you don't really. I mean, you, it's. It's. When people remind me, just even where it was ten years ago, actually, or seven years ago, how much it's grown in. in, in uh, since then, even. But it's. Uh, we were told the other day it was the biggest, biggest greenfield site build in the world, in terms of actual scale from nothing. Yeah, there's nothing. There's actually a little bit under the ground there in terms of infrastructure, but basically there's nothing there. Uh, and um, we put enough power to, for the whole of Chichester, so we could run the whole of Chichester with the amount of power that goes in in there. <laughs> so it's huge for generator companies, trackway companies. You know, it's a massive amount of. And you, I don't know how many square meters we cover, but there's 200 acres out there. But it's it's a huge build. I mean, and how long does the, the setup? I mean, the setup takes weeks, doesn't it? We have two thousand people on site building it. Wow, something crazy like that. Uh, the the setup is three months really, so it's quite a that that's become quite an issue. I mean, it's quite a, it's that's that's quite imposing. So it's three months in and out. So it's two months in and a month out. And we, I mean, in wet weather, a couple, two two of the uh, two very wet events, and the, and the park is just trashed. You know, it's, oh, just, it's a worry. It's just and it's an increasing worry. We're going to try and move a few things around next year to reduce that impact a bit. And this year, obviously, was very difficult because it was very wet before it. 
so that causes lots of problems with the with the parking and you know, so that requires more infrastructure more hard standing and of course what we don't want to do is we've got you know this, we can't do that anything out here so it's, it's a very important park it's you know we can't um yeah um we've got lots of readers questions um and so some of them are just literally saying thank you um who had been past visitors of festival of speed and revival and and the members meeting as well um got a nice one here from neil uh who obviously were talking about your grandfather earlier. What, he's asking, what do you think your grandfather would make of what you've achieved at Goodwood since 93 at the Festival of Speed and then obviously at the circuit with the revival and the members meeting? Um, it must, uh, surely he'd be looking he'd down. He'd be at absolutely it. horrified. <laughs> horrified, do you think? <laughs> he would think it was absolutely... He's quite interesting. I think, uh, Rob knew him a bit too. Uh, I think perhaps after a bit he'd think it was great and he'd be pleased, but most he'd, he'd probably say, absolutely ridiculous, why why, why are you doing this? It's completely... He was very, very... Um, he looked forward a lot. He was very modern. I mean, I used to talk to him about Brooklyn's and say, isn't it a tragic that Brooklyn's... It's absolutely not tragic at all. Brooklyn's was finished, it was over, it was old hat, move on. Um, and I think he might think that, you know, Goodwood, he'd close Goodwood down. I mean, there was no looking back, you know, why do you, why do you want to start this up again? That's mad. But I think, I hope he'd be... You know, I hope he's looking down there actually with a little bit of a smile and, and a bit chuffed with what he with what he create that what he created has gone on to in some ways perhaps you know and and of course with um, you know the digital world we're in uh, we've been able to to um, share that with so many more people around the world and and good was become known uh, in a way I, you know we would never have dreamt of when we started it 25 years ago. It's you know I'm I'm just astonished honestly I'm walking around Beverly Hills two weeks ago and people people walk up to me and say God I just love love, love your events I think it's really bizarre I mean it, I'm not in any way wishing to sound like it's you know we, we I think it's we're famous or anything but I am absolutely amazed about how much uh, goodwill there is enthusiasm I mean honestly if I walk I was in London I was in I was in London just last weekend within walking from Green Park to Victoria I had three people stop me in the street and say I just want to say it's great or and then all people chatting about me like they like I'm their brother and I have a bloody <laughs> clue who they are I mean I go yeah and I see you too and I mean, you know but it's a uh, it, it's um the the best thing of all about about all of it really is is just that people are so you know there's so much good feeling about it and they want to be part of it and and um and they love it, and mostly we have. Of course, there are things which don't go so well. The traffic this year was really horrible, uh, and you know we need to sort that out. But you know, you'll you. What we find is you get something right, and then you have it right for a little bit of time, and then something happens and it goes wrong, or there's something you know out of your control. Which, but but mostly we really want to do it properly, and um, and people's feedback is very positive. So if you if you look back. At the reasons why the Ninth Duke shut the circuit in '66, that it was the right thing to do, in the sense that the cars were becoming too quick <coughs> for the for the circuit, and I think, look, with in with hindsight, it, it was a good decision because when it uh, when we opened it again in '98, again that was the right time, with the right cars, in the right place, as it were. You know, it's not a circuit for modern. People say, oh, well, you know, you can have the British Grand Prix at Goodwood. I mean, forget it. So what I'm saying, what I'm saying is that, you know, is that probably had it gone on, it would have petered out rather than... Because it went out on a high. That was the thing. Yeah. 
And the great thing for us is it wasn't developed. So the wonderful thing for us is, is that it hasn't ever been changed. So he didn't try and make it fit. He decided it wasn't going to work, so he stopped it. If he tried to make it fit, or indeed if we'd started the circuit probably without doing the festival speed first, we might easily have you know, not known what we were doing or just thought, well, I guess make it a racetrack. So we would have tried to make it fit modern racing and, and probably fairly you know, uninteresting modern racing. And, and it, would, it would have been lost, you know, it would have been lost forever. Obviously, the interesting thing about it is that it never changed. So it's exactly as it was the day Fangio drove around it. Yeah. Um, we're going to come on to lots more readers' questions in a sec, but I just wanted to let everyone know who is listening and watching um, that being at the end of November, and you can't get across to me, Rob, because I, I know you hate Christmas too early. Uh, the lights are on in London, so it is nearly Christmas. Um, we have a great Mercedes Christmas offer for you. Um, and go to the Mercedes-Benz World website, go to the offer section, and there's loads of driving experiences from AMG ones to under-17 driving experiences and also 4x4 uh, ones as well. So, uh, Mum, if you're listening, I would love some time in an AMG car, so as you, you, know, you know where to go now. Terms and conditions do apply, so see the website um, for details. Um, so, it, we've obviously talked a little bit about the revival, but uh, that it must have been quite a struggle getting racing back there because obviously you wanted to keep it original and uh, to keep it all as it was in periods just sort of give me some idea of how tough it was to kind of get everyone to agree and the planning and everyone to say yes go for it well uh, Rob knows all about this too he was very very involved in, in, the, in this process so the moment we didn't um, I suppose naively to start with I thought it was all possible and we thought oh actually we didn't get turned down maybe it's it's uh, it can happen. And then we realised fairly quickly after that. So I guess um, yeah, we started the festival speed um, 93. So it, you know, 90, 92, it was pretty clear it, it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to happen. Um, and uh, we remained determined though. So the festival speed was just a little, was meant to be just a little sort of stepping stone. And of course it turned into the, the monster it is now. Um, but, uh, uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of resistance, uh, but we were absolutely determ determined that we we could get past it, and that there must be some way there must be some way through. So we just we just carried on, and you know, and we and we pushed along, and it took seven years, um, but we you know we eventually got it, and um, and we had to give up a lot to get it actually. So obviously the, the amount of actual activity on the track had to reduce dramatically. No use on Sundays and all those sort of restrictions, but. Uh, you know, I remember very well, and of course, you know, then the first revival in '98 was another big, you know, it was, you know, that was a big moment for us and a very exciting one. And how, how are sort of relationships with um, sort of governing bodies and things in terms of the safety is that a constant battle trying to keep it as it as it should be um, in period, or a, a sort of is everyone quite understanding of what you're trying to achieve and and, and the safety record and things? Yeah, I don't think it's a battle. I mean, we're very very. Um, you know, we're all over it ourselves. We're trying to keep, make it as safe as we possibly can all the time. Um, so anything we think of, we, we will do or we'll talk to the MSA about. And I've had a very close relationship with them. Obviously, Derek and Gara at the beginning uh, played a huge part in enabling it in the first place. I mean, if Derek hadn't said... So it was because I was talking to Derek about the, the circuit um, and I didn't know him well, but... I'd, uh, Dennis Carter, the BARC, had uh, w was I was really in involved with the BARC, and Dennis had put me in touch with with Derek. Derek was coming down to look at the circuit, 
talk about banks and you know, well, did we have to have arm care all around it? Or what was you know, what was that, what was it going to mean? Because knew, I knew that would wreck it. That I then brought him up here and said, look, we've had this little idea about doing something in front of the house, which which Ian Back suggested, who was a member of the BARC. Um, at a, bizarrely, at a funeral we were both at together, he suddenly said, "You ought to run a hill climb in front of the house." And I said, "That'll never happen. That you can't be are you serious." He said, "Yeah, I think you could do it." And that's actually, to be fair, it was in. That's how the whole thing came about. And then thinking, what well, doesn't have, doesn't react. We don't really want a British. We don't want a sort of international hill climb. We just want to. How could we do something a bit different? And um, and then it was Derek. I remember showing him. And I was going to go from the kennels at the beginning, all the way up past the west entrance and then at the crossroads take a left up here and he looked at that and was sucking his teeth in a bit because there were quite a lot of walls and immovable objects super quick hairy quite hairy corners and so we had i was a bit disappointed he said and then we had a little dry run he said but i think you could do it this way down there and then of course Derek brilliantly um again we were very very lucky so because if Derek had said that's all fine but it's arm you can do it but you're gonna have to put arm code from top to bottom i mean that would have we would never have done it because it would have cost so much. We just couldn't have done it. And the beauty of the event for Goodwood and why it's been so fantastic for the estate is it hasn't required a great deal of capital. It's just we've just done it uh, and been able to repeat it and then earn the money and do it again. So we've been able to put all that money back into the estate. And um, it's had a massive impact on what we've been able to do here and keeping the whole place uh, you know, alive and well. So it was a brilliant event at the beginning. And Derek, was, I mean, of those, who, of those um, who were here will well remember... Um, not only was there BRM V16 which made grown men cry which Rob mentioned earlier which was an amazing uh, I realised then we must be onto something when they got so emotional about it but there was a string line it was literally a piece of string um, and Derek was sitting in his car I remember on the first corner and a lot of people were going God this looks quite serious and uh, Derek said it's fine it's a rally stage as far as I'm concerned it's just like a rally stage so that was, a, that was brilliant that he and he could see exactly what we were trying to do. We weren't trying to, you know, run an international time trial or something. It was a celebration of the motor car, and um, his understanding played a massive part at the beginning. Because, or if he, Derek had just said at the beginning, "This isn't. I'm sorry, I, this is never going to work." If he hadn't, it was slightly, you know, stepped out of line and said, "This looks like exciting. This is great for everybody." Let's do it. We, it would never have happened. So he's uh, there's a lot to thank him for. Mm. Um, Reed, I'm wary of. Uh, you've got more uh, more meetings to go. More important meetings to go to. Um, but I just kind of there's lots of things I just want to quickly touch on. Um, there's, you've obviously had some amazing stars from Marie Andretti to Valentino Rossi, and um, some you know there's there's probably about four podcasts just in some of those stories. Um, wasn't was there a story about Marie Andretti and a jigsaw? So I th I think it was indeed. It was a very wet year. It was it was it was it was um, it was the Ferrari year. Mario was here, ninety seven, and um, it rained and rained. And all the we had um, we had Rick Mears here. We had lots of great. We had all the indie drivers here as well. Danny Sullivan, um, Mario, Mario's wife. All the wives were here as well, and they were all staying in the house. And Though they didn't go out at all, I think the whole weekend all they did was sit and do a jigsaw. Which my my wife Janet loves a proper jigsaw, so we always have a big jigsaw out. These lovely hand cut things, and they got to the pretty much the end of the jigsaw after dinner one evening, and everyone was getting quite excited at the last, and the last piece was bloody missing. So the girls were all pretty. Everyone was a bit. There was a slight. Yeah, 
No, it was a bit of a disappointment. And um, uh, and the next morning, everyone's sitting down, and Mario comes bouncing in in his overalls on, ready to go up to the track, and suddenly goes, "Oh, gee, look!" And pops the last piece of the bloody <laughs> jigsaw into the into it, and he'd taken it at the beginning of the week and popped it in his pocket. <laughs> it seemed anyway, very race, very competitive quite, racing driver quite kind of poor behaviour. Yeah, <laughs> so that 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 um, yeah, that was. Um, I like I liked it. I liked it when um Froilan Gonzalez came to drive the uh, again yeah. the V16 yeah. BRM up the hill. It's but that was a, it was a fantastic thing to get him here the at Pampas all. Bull. Yeah, the Pampas Bull all the way from Argentina. He's quite an elderly man of course and um the time came for his run in the BRM on the hill and there was an and we were all thinking where is he? And the announcement came over the PA in the paddock. Mr. Gonzalez is having breakfast. His run will be postponed. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. A Very lot of people have spent a lot of time in bed here. Yeah, maybe... Uh, I know it's too a many stories to tell about. Yeah. Well, it is, a f it is a family show, but um, I do know that um, uh, when the rooms were being cleaned uh, the day after the Festival of Speed a few years ago, I won't tell you which year it was, a thong was discovered hanging from an orchid that had been used uh, in a well, room. The orchid was at the end of the bed, actually. Yeah, at so the end of the bed. It took a bit of time to see it, and no one noticed it for quite a long time. So you know, the orchid being what it is, and then the thong hanging, it was like perfectly camouflaged. <laughs> and of yeah. course, we are talking a Formula One driver here. <laughs> right. Who else? Who else? Um, but there was, was it, didn't Emerson, is there a, Emerson go around the track in a Rolls Royce with. Oh, yeah, that was very recently, actually. That was very recently. So. Uh, we had the big, uh, Jean Todt kindly bought the whole, we had the big FIA conference here, so they were all here. And um, uh, Gerhard Berger was here as well. Emerson happened to be here that evening, uh, Jean Todt and I. And we had, they did a big dinner down at the motor circuit. And um, I think it was probably Gerhard, probably predictably said, you don't think we need to be doing some, we need to drive, did some driving. In the, you know, it was dark, it was pouring with rain. And I had the Phantom down there. So I said, okay, we'll go for Emerson, you drive. And yeah, so we had Emerson driving, me in the front, and Gerhardt and Jean Tot in the back going flat out around the circuit in the dark. Anyway, yeah, I thought, if anything happens now, we're all going to be in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and you can imagine Gerhardt was pushing Emerson on, telling me he was, you know. Yeah. There's, oh, there's actually, there's a question here from... Uh, the wipers. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's a question here. There's lots of questions actually from various people. There's one here from uh, Greg on this all on the same topic, but um, saying, you know, you have a racetrack, a hill climb course, and a rally stage on your doorstep. Do you ever get tempted to sneak out at night and have a blast around them in something tasty? I think that probably answers that question actually. <laughs> the, the well, very, very rarely now. This Robert will remember that, God, in, in my, in, when so 17, 18, we were out on the track, we was going to do 70 laps straight off. My son zooms out on the rally, well, goes out on the rally stage a bit. He, we got a fantastic off road. Rage, which he's quite decent in, and we we have a good thrash around there, and we have some fun people who come and done that with us, and that's very you know, and then that's a bit damp and it's chalky, it's really really difficult. He did, he, uh, I got to tell you, he did try the Festival of Speed course downhill many 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 years ago, um, but it he it, he well, it only lasted halfway because <laughs> wasn't a great result. He drove he drove his mother's Mostyn eleven hundred flat out into a very large tree and spent several weeks in hospital. Four months, in fact. In hospital. Really, yeah. wasn't well, it was not my best moment. Yeah, my mother was out. <laughs> I was joyriding. I was sixteen, and um, yeah, I went up to the top. 
with a friend in the car, yeah, I whipped it round, you know, shh, came zooming back down. And it was one of those terrible MG 1100s with that molten suspension. Which, you know, when one goes up, the other goes down. One of the, anyway. Yeah, yeah, but... It, and I lost it badly on the last corner coming down. Yeah. And ended up, yeah, absolutely, absolutely stuffed into these trees. Wasn't, wasn't good. Broke my legs. Every oh. racer has to have a big shunt. So. <laughs> it's quite, quite a big one. Um, just a couple more questions. This, uh, this is from Matt in South Korea. And there's been so many great cars and drivers um, at Goodwood Events over the past 20 years. Is there a particular car or driver you look back on most fondly? Well, probably, um, well, there are, there are, funny enough, immediately you say that, there are two moments I, I remember. One was I came out of the dining room window here, because the window is all open. I climbed out of the dining room window, Friday the festival speed, and I'm just walking, I literally, I've just stepped onto the lawn, and a guy bump, literally runs smack into me, and it almost knocks me over. He knocks himself over. He pulls himself up, he says, oh, gee, I'm so sorry, man, I'm so sorry, I'm just in such a hurry, I've got to go, to go and see the chaparrales. And um, I thought, that's, he's American, that's... And anyway, this guy came all the way from Chicago to see the chaparrales, which had never been seen in America, really, because Jim had put them all away. And so for me to have the chaparrales, we've had them here a few times, uh, obviously, since. But that, that was a big moment. So at the beginning, getting all those indie cars, getting the no... I mean, we tried so hard to get some of these cars. I mean, to get a V6, to get an auto union at the beginning, you know, they were not imp there weren't any in the world. I mean, we were, you know, there was one in East Germany. So to try and get those blockbuster cars at the beginning, well, they were real triumphs. The W165 uh, Mercedes, when they rebuilt that specially and, and brought that, that was, a, um, that was a, big, a big moment. But to have the chaparral here and to drive them, so very few people have driven a chaparral. So for me, the bizarre thing perhaps is that I used to dream about all these cars when I was a child. And, um, and I've driven most of them, which is extraordinary. You know, I've now driven, I'm, only three people in the world have driven a chaparral pretty much. And um, Phil Hill and me, and you know, so, I don't know, you know, very, very few people have driven one. And um, you know, I've had some un unbelievable experiences. And the other one was, I think, seeing Dan Gurney fiddling with the Westlake Gurney Westlake when it first came. You know, he didn't think it was running quite right, so there was Dan leaning over. Well, he's had all these spanners out, and there was Gurney rebuilding his own engine. That was, you know, those were. So he's a big driver for me. Um, what what was it like having having Rossi here? Finally, that must have been another brilliant, sort of another good moment. But he was in such he was such great company, and he loved it. All he could say all the time was what a great time he was having. And I got a sweet note from him afterwards, asking me to go and see his his uh, his garage and his family at Silverstone, which was. And I spent a, bit, a little bit of time with him before the British race, and um, and he was just charming, and he loved. He wouldn't leave the party, and we had such a good time, and um, you know, he's a superstar. I think he, you tell me, but I, th I think he cancelled his flight home so he could drive one more car up, yeah, yeah, he did, really? yeah. up the hill. Yeah. He was there. I mean, it tells you a lot about the guy, doesn't well, it? Yeah, I remember watching because I kept seeing him in, in more and more cars. And it's, I mean, it yeah. really was like a, like a child in a playground. It was, well, just, it was like just the incredible. Pope when he came on the balcony over the front of the house. It was like the Pope, wasn't it? Well, it, I mean, it was bigger than the Pope, actually. Can I? No, maybe I'm It was one of our best moments, him riding yeah. in, in the yeah. bike, yeah. for yeah. sure. Um, now we are. Basically out of time. Um, obviously, not many people are listening or watching. Do, what, who's the sort of star star guest for for next year, and what, what have we got to look forward to? Or are we too early in the, in oh the season? Gosh, to, well, uh, lots of secrets, really. Yeah, I mean, the theme is all about the, the, the you know the major moments in motorsport which have changed the sport forever. The sort of blockbuster developments that have um, the high the, you know the sort of high water marks, and and that means we've got to get you know the, the most exciting cars, and obviously the, all the drivers that go. Uh, that go with them. So, um, 
No, there's some excitements already. Already, no, it looks good. Excellent. Well, Lord Marsh, thank you so much for sparing so much time. I'm sorry we've run over a little bit. Um, Rob, thank you very much for, for joining us as well. Oh, and giving, pleasure. Giving your insight. As, as, the as veteran always. podcaster. And Alan, thank you so much for recording all the sound as beautifully as, as you always do. We'll see you all next month for one final motorsport podcast before the end of the year. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Some things are made to cope with puddles and rain. Others deal with the stickiest of mud. And as for the snow, that takes a warm coat and sure footing. But when it comes to dealing with all conditions, there's only one thing that springs to mind. Mercedes-Benz Formatic. All-wheel drive performance in any condition. So whatever the weather or road throws at you, you're ready. To see the Formatic range for yourself, visit your local Mercedes-Benz retailer. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.